Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Looking to expand or move your company? Ohio has the talent you need to scale for growth. Ohio's central location, reliable infrastructure, and top-ranked business climate are here to help you succeed. Get to business. Visit successinohio.com today. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 86 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us by now as simply DCU. And since their beginnings as a credit union for the employees of Digital Equipment Corporation back in 1979, DCU has never lost sight of its roots of being a not-for-profit financial cooperative owned by and operated by and for their members. And a lot of things can change in 40 years, but some things remain constant, like DCU's unwavering commitment to provide exceptional service and to make a positive impact in the communities where their members live and work. And no matter what their members' unique goals are, DCU is committed to helping them the only way they know how, the DCU way, which consists of three simple philosophies that guide every DCU team member. People come first, do the right thing, and make a difference. And giving back is central to what they do. And I know this because I've been working with DCU for almost two decades. And I've seen them wrap their arms around a project or an organization and roll up their sleeves and get involved and do the right thing. For more details, head to dcu.org. I also wanted to put a plug in for the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. You can click the Patreon logo at mistresscarry.com or go straight to patreon.com slash mistresscarry. Backstage pass holders get exclusive access to photos and travel logs. They submit interview questions for podcast guests, get exclusive access to concert tickets, and we do an exclusive live stream every month. And I wanted to say what's up to backstage pass holders, Paula, Rachel, Kathy, Jane, Annette, Ash, Keith, Debbie, Linda, Jamie, and Heather. You guys rock. Okay, this week's episode has a lot of firsts. Phil Verone is an accomplished drummer. He's a music producer and a songwriter, and his career spans some three decades. Phil is best known for his work with bands like Saigon Kick, Skid Row, Vince Neil, Jakey Lee's band, Red Dragon Cartel, and he's got a new project called Panic Boom. He's also featured in a new documentary called 30 Years a Drummer. He's a video editor, a centerfold. Yeah, wait till you hear that story. A television and adult film actor, and he even has his own line of sex toys. Well, he used to anyway. I told you, this episode is a lot of firsts. Phil and I got up super early on a Saturday morning and had coffee together. And this guy is freaking hilarious and he doesn't hold back. I had never met him before, but our common friend said that we would get along amazingly well and they were absolutely right. We had a blast. He's an open book that is not ashamed about the struggles he's had in his life. And he's also pretty humble about a lot of the successes he's had as well. 
We talked about everything from Oprah to porn to drumming and the Beatles. And that's just the start. So allow me to introduce you to Phil Verone. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely, pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Now you know you're being recorded, Phil. You're got on it. the record. I got it. Good morning. I don't want to say anything. Uh-oh. Oh, what? Sorry. I've never gotten in <laughs> trouble before. There we go. Good morning. Good morning. Cheers to your coffee. I know I got you up early on a Saturday. Yes. Boy, look at the size of that cup. That thing has an undertow. We, that is nice. We don't mess around here in Boston. We like things big, loud, and obnoxious, including our coffee. Oh, so well. Yeah, yeah I like. I, well, you know, I like my beverage with uh, a low tide. <laughs> Thank you. You're on the West Coast, right? So you're up. Uh, early. Yes, I'm in uh, lovely Las Vegas, Nevada. Ah, there's a yes. lot of rock and roll getting made in Vegas these days. There's a lot of bands uh, from here. There's a lot of uh, musicians here. Uh, musicians, because it's so close to L.A., yeah. it's uh, it's a nice, easy commute, and it's uh, probably a quarter of the price. So that's what drew, that, that really was, is what attracted me over here. And um, But contrary to popular belief, there's actually beautiful things to do here. Uh, because most of us residents, we don't go near the strip. Yeah, that's what like, I've heard. That like it's, that. It's just no. don't, that's where the tourists are. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't like those dirty, nasty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, now, there's uh, amazing hiking here. Yeah, believe it or not, I, th- this is. You know how uh, how rock star is getting old when we're talking about hiking. Yeah, right. Yeah. 20 years ago, I'm talking about doing blow off of, uh, you know, a boob. Now I'm like, I'll tell you, Red Rock is nice. Yeah. You know, so anyways. (laughs) This time of year, it's beautiful. And there's a place you can get scones. They're delicious. It's gorgeous. And and, and the funny part is, this is really weird. Kind of. Is it a a, is is the word juxtaposition right? Where you (laughs) are on you're on this beautiful uh, hike, but yet you could still see the strip. It'll the mayhem. Right. So it's this weird kind of, you know, you're in this very safe uh, distance away. Very safe. I can do, I can do Vegas for about four to five days. I cannot. And then I have to get out of there. And it's the same with LA. I can handle LA for about four to five days. And then I'm way too East coast for that. Yeah. LA is, um, uh, it's like Vegas is mayhem. LA is just, everyone's full of crap. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really kind of, uh, you know, people are so Hollywood over there and they, it's just, it turns your stomach sometime, but a lot of people, a lot of my friends, there, a lot of business. So, um, 
I think the newer Vegas is not too bad. The younger folks aren't as bad as the older Vegas, where every uh, older uh, LA, where everyone's just kissing ass, and it's still a lot going on. But I think now that they took down Weinstein and there's no more casting couch, technically, I think things have probably calmed down just a hair. Yeah, I would think you know because that's just a disgusting everything, whatever was going on there. So it's unreal that it took this long for all of that stuff to come to light. It's, it's, I yeah. mean, it's kind of like everybody knew it was happening, but nobody really wanted to say anything about it. Well, that's, that's the LA thing though, because yeah. if someone said something, they don't work anymore. Kind of like what's going on in the government. They're a bunch of cowards. And then so the people in LA, but you know, when people are getting hurt, uh, you know what, you got to be a martyr and you got to like tell somebody. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, in Hollywood, that stuff was starting in the 40s. Once talkies started and they had all these starlets. And uh, if you go through old Hollywood, it's kind of fascinating because all through old Hollywood and over the hills like Runyon Canyon, uh, all those places, they had these little bungalows that the studio executives had their kind of mistresses in. You know, and that's the way it was back then. And everybody shut up. No one said a word. I mean, think about think about politics when uh, when uh, uh, JFK was president, you know, having sex with Marilyn Monroe. No one dare to talk about that today. They would be camped out, you know, getting pictures. And it's such a different time. And that's the way I think Hollywood was. And it took so long for people to finally, uh, you know, tell on them, if you will. I'm happy they did. You know, but still, it's uh, we we still deal with it in our world today. So I've been fortunate that thirty years in rock and roll, and I when the Me Too movement really hit, you know, yeah. people would come to me and say, "Oh, I bet you have you know crazy stories or whatever." And I, there really wasn't a lot of that for me. And the only thing I can attribute it to is that people were too fucking scared of me. So I guess that's a yes. good thing when you're yeah, a big they, enough, they, bitch. <laughs> right. Well, you know, either that or you you turn into a challenge. That's that's the the rock yeah. star way. It's like, yep. OK, well, you know, she's crazy. No one can get to her. I can get to her. And then you just lay them out and they come back with, you know, the the bloody lip. And you're like, what happened? Like nothing, you know. Yeah. But uh, but, the, you know, look, I, 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 I that was my thing years ago, too, being in a band. You know, we're 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 CD rock stars or, or we think we are. So you're always going to attempt to to um, I, I'm not. I'm not talking about rape, but you're always you're you're perverted. You know, everyone's perverted. And uh, anybody you know, that's read Motley Crue's book knows exactly what you're talking about. I mean, they made yeah. a movie out of it and it was yeah. it was like rated G compared to the stories that really happened. Yeah. I mean, people we talked about um, people talk about drugs and chicks and and all that stuff. And, and I, I know, like I was talking to, with Ted Nugent you know, last week and we were t- that was our. Um, our thing when we started, it was girls, you know, Ted obviously started 20 years before me, but the point Gene Simmons never put uh, uh, anything in his body. Me, unfortunately, I put the drugs and the women and everything in the booze, but those guys, it was about chicks. And that's the way I was when I first, first started, you know, it was all about girls. So I don't think it was, um, I was always a, I think I was a, um, uh, an opportunist because in real life, there's no way that any of these girls would want to have sex with someone like me, but because I was in a band, it kind of worked that way. Well, isn't and that you know, why you, you want to become ego. a musician in the first yeah, place? Absolutely. No doubt. You're not big I enough mean, to play football and date the cheerleaders. You got to find a way to get girls. And if you're musically right. inclined. Yeah. You know, I, I was just talking about this because when I was in high school, um, I, I posted, <laughs> I posted my high school uh, uh, senior picture on Facebook the other day, and I look like um, uh, a cross between Freddie Prinze Senior 
uh, Tony Orlando, and I had the brick girl feathered hair. Oh, with yes. This, with, uh, it was brutal, right? And, and, this, and my lip was a dirty mustache. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder why I never got laid in high school. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden I, uh, I played with um, Tony Cortese, who is in my Panic Boom band to this day. He was in the first band I ever played with, and we played the talent show. And ever since I played the talent show, uh, girls looked at me different. I knew then there was some kind of power with drumming. And then the first show that Saigon Kick played back in 1988 was at this club called um, The Treehouse. And The Treehouse, it was like, you know, maybe 20 people, whatever. There wasn't many people there. It was our first show ever. And uh, I come off the stage and there's a girl just like waiting for me with open arms. And I was like, this is great, you know, because... <laughs> I mean, I didn't even have to work for it. This, yeah, this girl right here. Oh, look at that. That's Whoa. me. That's my high school picture. That girl oh, was wow. a massive Saigon kick fan right there. Wow. And you are you have contributed to the ozone layer yes. with that hair. Because I have too. There's a whole hole in it that's dedicated to Mistress Carrie for sure. How about this? Uh, 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 aqua, aqua, Aquanet Insta. What was it? The super extra hole. The in the white can. can. Oh, the white and pink oh, and You can. just oh. did two of them. Yep. Oh man, we, we I used to have like at least a one inch film on everything in my room. Yeah. You know, just from that stuff. You to take a it razor to, to clean the mirror off. <laughs> Basically, yeah. that's so funny. Only people that have lived that understand. That's right. But uh but that was a fun time though. That was, you know, but that's, you know, when you talk about it's sex drugs and rock and roll, that's what it was back then, you know, and it was I I think that I got caught up more in that than even making money. Although the the misconception was, is that you got a record deal. You have a, you're going to get, you're going to be rich and you're going to have a mansion and all that fun stuff. And well, that that's was what so it looks like on truth. MTV. Well, that's what it always looked like though. Even later on in life when they did cribs and they did all that stuff, I mean, smoke and mirrors, that's the, the thing. And, but the, the one thing that was real was uh, girls and, um, and, and, you know, having fun. We definitely did that. We were broke as hell, but <laughs> we had sex and we had fun and we played some good rock and roll. So what, you know, you well, your, take the good and the bad. Your first band was in Florida, but are, are you originally from there? No, no. I was born in Long Island, New York. And, so so um, you got an East Coast, you got an East Coast layer to you for sure. Uh, a little bit, but I, 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 I moved out of there when I was 12 uh, out of Long Island. And it was funny because uh, the, I guess the origin of drumming for me came from uh, New York because uh, when I was in grade school, about fourth grade, I believe they came around, they said, Hey, you know, we have a music program. Would you like to play? And for me, I wanted to play trumpet because, uh, my buddy, Richie Goodwin, Goodwin played trumpet and he was like, cool to me, you know? And I remember his name, which is weird. Cause I don't remember yesterday because, you know, <laughs> of dementia No, But, uh, and, and I always thought like trumpet players would get all the chicks, even back then in grade school, I'm thinking you couldn't have been um, more wrong, man. You couldn't yeah, have been I, more wrong. Well, Especially when, because picking drums was definitely the right choice. Yes. But um, I couldn't play trumpet because I had uh, operations on my ears. So any type of pressure in my head would have gone, I would have gone deaf. So uh, drumming, and I know it sounds weird, but if you put earplugs in and stuff, there's no pressure on your, your eardrums. So I started playing percussion. And then my father bought me a drum kit when I was probably about 10. So back in 77. And um, I still have that kit today. Do you actually. really have same, it? Abso absolutely. Yeah. What is and it? I feel, it? It's it's a mix. I don't know. It's a mix <laughs> match of everything. And I featured it in a Drumhead magazine. 
because they they we had, there was an issue called ensnared and you talk about your favorite drums and what it meant to you and all the drummers are like well you know i i use this on so and so song i use this on, and mine was like well this is my first kit that my dad bought me and this is my you know my so yeah i i i i, I after that i when i moved to florida i didn't want to play drums i was playing golf you know i wanted to be a professional golfer and uh, that doesn't get you late either yeah, in school when you're good later. at it later but not in school yeah no yeah, you're totally PGA right. tour you know here i am i'm like it's like freddie prince like leaning up against a golf club in my yearbook it doesn't work <laughs> no not good but um and parents when they when their kid decides to get into music i would think the biggest fear in the world would that you either play the drums or the violin because the learning curve is painful for everyone else in the house. <laughs> violin would probably be worse. Oh. That's what I think about the money pit, that movie when she's up there practicing and Tom Hanks is outside running around like with bees chasing him. Yeah. Um, my parents were saints. Okay. Because they gave me not only here, tell me this is when people tell me about their stories that they don't like their parents or I'm like, what are you even talking about? You know, like, I don't even understand that world. And I know it happens sadly, but my parents, when I graduated high school, I, um, I wanted to be a drummer, but I had a, I had a scholarship and, and, I went to my parents. I'm like, you know, um, I like to play drums and I mean, tur turned down the scholarship because uh, it was with Westinghouse and I, it, the computer uh, a drafting system had just come out CAD. Yeah. And that's what I was studying. I was going to be an architect, really. And um, never be able to work with that. Never. Right. And it's artistic and it's great. And I worked for Westinghouse when I was in high school because of I was advanced in that. You know, like I was really that's why they offered me a scholarship. And I and and ever since when I, in 1983, two years before I graduated, when Motley Crue hit MTV, I was like, "Are you? I mean, wh what is this? I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My jaw hit the ground. You know, uh, I I remember the first day MTV aired, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like, because up until then, all we did was hear um, artists like through a speaker. You right. know, like we just sat there and, you know, you listen to your radio. You didn't feel your... like you knew anything about them unless oh. you saw them in a fan mag or something, or you right. actually got to go and see them live. But it's like the band didn't exist if they weren't on the stage. Yeah. I mean, I thought for the for the longest time that there was bands like in rehearsal. And then when they played on the radio, like a light went on and then they just started playing. <laughs> I, had, I didn't even understand the concept of records, you know, like it was such a weird, yeah. you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking. So when I saw, when I saw Motley, I was like, okay, I want to be that dude right there. Yeah. And, um, and then that, that's what started it. So when I went to my parents and I was like, Hey, you know, um, I like to play drums. And they said, okay. I can't well, believe well, they said, okay. They, and they said this though, my father and my father was a you know working man till the day he died. You know, the, the, just a, a proud Italian and a, and a wonderful human. And he goes, you got to get a job. And I said, OK. So I graduated like a couple of days later. I was on a lawn service in, in South Florida making four bucks an hour under the table. And let me tell you, one hundred and sixty dollars a week to a teenager is righteous cash. So I thought I was living like Thanksgiving. And my parents gave me Saturday. All they gave me 
a, ch- a chunk of time on Saturday, they would go shopping and I could practice my drums in the house and they just let me play. Um, and, and they were the driving force because, you know, then I started piecing drums together. So the first day when I got a record deal back in 1990 and I was at the house and UPS brought me a free drum kit, you know, from my my endorsement. And I, and I opened it with my dad. I'm like, huh? Right. I made you know, it. Like, yeah. Like it, you know, I thought I did anyway. Yeah. But um I, I have a funny story because I was just touring with Jakey e. Lee with Red Dragon Cartel right before the COVID hit back in 19. And one of the stops was Long Island, New York. And it was uh, a short distance from my actually my home, my childhood home. So my sister had flo- flown in for the show. Her and I go visit the block. And everything looks a lot smaller. Oh, yeah. When you're bigger, right? It's like that place used to be like Times Square to me. It was massive when I was a kid. So our next door neighbor, the Donnellys, who is like Eddie Donnelly, was my best friend. You know, like you have the the, the his parents, who I absolutely love and adore, are still alive. You know, which I'm, I hope they stay alive forever. They're just wonderful people. They still live there? Still live there. So... My sister knocks on the door and they answer the door and they drop their mouths drop because we haven't been there. I haven't been there in 30 years. Wow. And and my sister goes, my brother's in the car and I come walking out and they're like, Philip, oh, my God. You know, so we went in there and Tom Donnelly, the father goes, you know, it's I'm really proud of you because, you know, we had like. Every family was like our parents. Right. Back, back then, then you know, it the was kids, okay. You could get reprimanded right. by the neighbors and it was yes, fine. Yes. Yeah. It was fine. Whatever house you were in, it was their rules. That's right. You respected that. Right. And um, Tom Donnelly said to me, you know, it's, it was real. I followed what you, Eddie told me your career and I've seen you, you know, do success with your drums. He goes, I, I was shocked because when I used to listen to you play as a kid, you really sucked. You know, and we started laughing because he had to hear it because I had the drum set oh, back right. then. So it was kind of a full circle thing, but so it was uh, it was it was wonderful. Did you learn about rock and roll from your parents and the Donnellys? Yes. Was that the soundtrack of what you heard growing up? The soundtrack. I, I my mother was Elvis. My father was the Beatles and comedy. My father put the first Richard Pryor oh. record on, uh, and the first one was that N words crazy. That was his first record. That's the first time Didn't I was the Library to of Congress just just save that. That was the, in the list of recordings that they've archived yeah. for posterity. Is Richard Pryor? That's that's probably one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest uh, recorded albums ever. I also had Red Fox. I had Cheech and Chong. My dad was very very open with comedy. He loved comedy. In fact, my father took me to see Young Frankenstein in the theaters. That should tell you. Your kind dad of father. is cool, man. Your dad like, is my cool. My dad was the coolest yeah. person. And my mother, Elvis, like Elvis, fina- like almost like unhealthy. So and then back then, this is 80. I'm sorry, 70 in the 70s, 76, 77. I graduated sixth grade and my parents gave me Kiss double platinum on eight track and a slip and slide. It was the greatest graduation gift you can give your child, right? And my parents got that Columbia house. We were talking about that laughing. Like, I go, remember the Columbia house uh, deal? You get 4,000 records for a penny, right? Yeah. And then, you know, no artists get paid and, you know, you, but- Not um, much has changed. Yeah, yeah, and no, exactly. Nothing's changed. You just get it streaming now. Right. Nothing gets delivered. Um, 
and they had all rock and roll. So I was exposed Boston, ELO, uh, uh, Kansas, you know, uh, uh, Beatles, Elvis, you name it. It was all on a track and, and records. So that's what I listened to in the house and kiss. Of course, kiss was my band back then. So yeah, they, they were, they were the driving force with rock and roll and it was kind of fun, you know, and, and there's such, such patience and leeway with me. You know, I just found a picture of me when I was right around that age and I had the kiss bicentennial poster, you know, with the oh, flag. Yeah. they were all bloody. And then there's a Miss Piggy poster next to it. And I was like, well, that's Muppets fantastic. And rock and roll. That's basically that's my childhood right there. You know, when I when we toured with Kiss in 2000, when I joined Skid Row, it was like my walls came to life. It was the most bizarre feeling. Um, you know, and and it was weird because I went up to Gene Simmons and he goes, it looked like um uh, Trent Reznor with Tommy Lee's arms. And I said, thank you, Gene. And, it, you know, and it was, you know, and he was all in the paint ready to go on stage. And, you know, it was just, they were larger than life. They came out of my wall. You know, this is a band I had. I didn't have an inch of space on my walls. Bon Jovi was put, like that for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so that, that was the most amazing. Then we toured with them for seven months, 130 shows. And I had the greatest time with Gene. And it, it was just like this dream every day. You know, Gene would come on before he went on. He would come into our dressing room and he's in the full paint. He's the demon. And I was like, uh, oh, did you have the, um, the prune Danish today from uh, catering? I'm like, no, I didn't. He's like, oh, it's very good. Yes. Uh, and we start talking recipes. He's like, you know, my mom made. I'm like, wait, but you're the demon. Yeah. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it was it was such a fan like I, I was a fanboy, um, and and of course Ace and Peter just tried to figure out ways to kill Gene during the show. So that was always fun. Uh, the, my favorite one was they were going to have a sniper in the back of the uh, the arena, and when Gene flew up for God of Thunder uh, after the blood, they were going to shoot him up in the rafters and just let his body fall on the stage like a puppet. And I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. And they would just they would just cackle, you know. Ace would be. Ah! You know, like they're nuts. Well, we live in and a world now where Paul Stanley turned 70 years old last week. Right. And what? let me tell you about that's incredible. And Insane. here's the funny part. When the tour started, it was 2000. Gene just turned 51. And I was like, these old bastards, you know, and I just turned 54. So I'm like, well, maybe they weren't that old. Yeah. Right. You know, it's amazing it was, how old you thought your parents were. Right. And then you get to yeah. the age that they were and you're like, oh, my God, they weren't that old at all. They weren't that old, no. but, to, but to us, man, it, like I remember high school when I graduated high school, I was thinking about the year 2000, I graduated in 85 and I'm like, God, in 2000, I'm going to be like 32. I would, oh. I would be like dead, you know, like that's wow. That's so old. You know, and you get the thirties, you're like, I'm not old, you know, forties, like I'm really not old, you know? So. You had an amazing thing happen in your career with Saigon kick and that you get that record deal, you get that drum set, you think you made it. <laughs> And then you get a song that goes from nothing into the stratosphere seamlessly right. over seemingly overnight. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Like Love is on the way. What was that roller coaster like? Well, it kind of sucked for a couple of reasons. And I'm very grateful that we were able to achieve something like that because not many people could say they had, as, as Frank would said, I'd rather love than never loved at all. It's like a hit. I'd rather have a hit than never, ever have a hit at all, you know, um, even though we're in the one hit wonder book. But still, um, I was concerned about that song for 
a few reasons. One was is that Saigon Kick is a very eclectic band. And with that, you have a record like The Lizard that had 14, 15 tracks on it. And Love Is On The Way was one of those tracks. Only one. Everything else was heavy and grungy and, and hard rock and all that other stuff. So when the when grunge was making its changeover, you know, the music business was going towards those bands. I just thought we can just go right, right in it. I mean, you know, we we were doing dual harmony stuff that Alice in Chains was doing, you know, back in 88. That was we were we could fit right in. You know, there, there was no cha- didn't have to be a changing of the guards for us. Dee Snyder love- told me it was like getting a telegram that said, no one wants what you do anymore. Yeah. You're done. Well, I, I remember driving. I had a rock star car back then because I had Love Is On The Way. It was a hit. I'm one video. I'm thinking, you know, I'm a rock star. I've made it. And then Smells Like Teen Spirit came on. And I'm like, I think I need to turn this thing around and drop it back off at the dealer because there's no my career is over. And only because that because of the um, Love Is On The Way was such an extreme different song that back then, if um, if we had iTunes back then where you could just buy a single, it wouldn't have been that bad. But you had to buy the whole record. So the returns and we just went through this with extreme because we toured with extreme for two Home, tours. hometown heroes here. Right. And Extreme, in my opinion, is probably one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Agreed. And we toured Europe with them when More Than Words went number one. We were with them and we celebrated. It was amazing. Right. And then when they got back to the States, Love is on the Way went to number eight and we were they were celebrating with us and we were on tour with them. But one of the things that we talked about was the returns, because when people went and bought that, that Extreme record, they're thinking more than words. They got, you know, they're thinking there's 12 cuts of more than words right. because you got to remember extremes fans loved them, but they crossed over. Right. Okay. So soccer moms were buying extreme right. records thinking they were all these right. love ballads and, and more than words isn't even a love song. Not even a love song. Um, you know, Paul and I, Gary would be like, so what did you do during that, that video shoot? You know, because I, I just stood at a bar and, you know, tried and hit on the talent all day. That's all I did. I had nothing better to do. I would have been barely on the on the song, which is like, uh, as I always, I always say, universe's best. It, that's universe's the universe's money shot to me. I'm going to give you a hit. No drums on it. Yeah. So there we go. Um, but yeah, and then he's, got, then he's got uh, wholehearted where he's just going to stand there with the kick drum. And Kick like a, drum. And a and, tambourine uh, or something. Yeah. And and even uh, when we, and I talked to Pat Torpy, the late great Pat Torpy, and we, uh, same thing with Mr. Big to be with you. It was like the three of us, and you're talking about incredible drumming. You know, Paul's an incredible drummer. Pat Torpy was probably one of the greatest drummers and nothing. You know, these are the songs that hit. Now, granted, you know, Mr. Big had better you know, songs that hit. But for me, it was a weird thing. But I knew the minute I heard that song, I was like, I don't want to put it on the record. And and because if if it gets picked up, we're dead. And sure as shit, uh, Matt and I were in the UK, I think, doing press. I forgot what it was. And Hostile Youth was our first single that we just finished a video for. Five days in Mexico, the coolest video. And then we get word that uh, a PD is playing uh, Love is on the Way. And I looked at the singer, Matt, and I go, enjoy this 15 minutes because it's going to be over soon. Those damn radio people never wanting to follow, follow the script. Yeah, because if we would have hit with two or three grungier type songs and there's some really great songs on our Lizard record, then Love is on the Way wouldn't have been such a big blow. 
Right. But it was kind of like it, it, it's it's just it was a double edged sword, man. You know, it opened the doors and closed them at the same time. It was a very bizarre uh, time. And um, and the rest is history, you know, because Saigon Kick was never a hair band. You know, we never were categorized as a glam band. We we're just a rock and roll band. Well, there's just a like, lot of bands you know, that got sucked into that whole thing. Like yeah. Tesla got branded a hair band. They're one of my favorite bands ever. They Love are Tesla. not a hair band. Tesla is one of the greatest, another great rock band and, and, and sweethearts of guys. We toured with those guys. They're some of the greatest guys. And uh, yeah, we got sucked in. And you know what it was? I believe wholeheartedly that it's one, bad management, two, just lazy record company people that didn't want to put their job on the line because, you know, uh, how many times we, we talk about in any profession, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, Hollywood, whether it's the music industry, people have no friggin' backbones. They're a bunch of cowards and, and they are not going to fight for a band uh, knowing that their career is on the line. They just won't do it. Well, back you know? then it was a lot harder to be an independent artist because you needed someone to print the records and distribute sure, them and all that. Sure. Whereas now oh, with yeah. technology, you can be an independent artist <laughs> and do really, really well yeah. and tour and make music yeah. and be directly connected to your fans. But back in those days, nearly impossible. No, that was it. Yeah. That was the norm. Uh, you know, one of the great things about Panic Boom is um, the uh, we haven't, we haven't been in a room together since 94. Just so, you know, like that's the the thing. Like we, <laughs> we did a record uh, with technology and it's like, uh, it's really interesting, but, but the pandemic um, allowed us to do this. And for me, the pandemic was a learning time for me. I, all the drugs that I did, all the chicks that I was with, I never paid attention in the studio with the greatest producers of all time, Michael Wagner, uh, 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 would you call it? Um, she, or, God, I can't. I just lost his name because he did. He did the Fuel record. He was doing our Skid Row record. Um, we had uh, Ronnie Lottie, who's this great engineer from Sweden. All this stuff, I never paid attention because I was too busy trying to get drugs or run out with a chick. So I really, for for my all my time in the business, I really didn't know anything about recording other than recording. You know, like my drums and stuff. So when pandemic hit, I I just dove into studying, and I spent I did the two same years. Thing. Yeah, and I learned how to uh, record, and I learned I wrote songs. Like I, I didn't even know I had it in me. I really didn't because it's something I never tapped into. So I I just studied and and tried to master Pro Tools. Um, I, I'm a I'm a video editor as a profession, I, I direct music videos. Video is way harder than audio. If you can do video, you can do audio. Yeah, no, exactly. So when I, when I got into audio, but I wanted to master all of it. So I took classes and, and I'm still in them for video, for film production and for um, uh, music uh, um, recording and engineering. But we, uh, so, so the pandemic allowed me to take a breath and go, okay, what, I can't leave my house for two years. Uh, I thought it was going to be a year, but it turned into two and a half years. So what do you want to do? I'm, I'm not going to allow this this um, this pandemic or the people that we lost during the pandemic to go in vain. Let's let's let me do something here. And and we and I studied and yeah, we ended up uh, making a record because uh, we were able you could. to. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 luckily. So now with Panic Boom, Chris McLernan, who is the bass player in Panic Boom, he was in Saigon Kick with me. 
And so the, the rhythm section has lived for 30 years together. You know, they're, we're, we're, they're, these guys in Panic Boom were all my lifelong friends. So when we formed the band in 94 and, and we did this and that Atlantic, Atlantic passed on it, it was kind of like, well, you guys want to re-record something for my documentary? And they said, yeah. So we re-recorded Revolution, which is the new single, which we wrote in 94. Wow. So, but in the process, never got in a room together. So we were doing everything Zoom and FaceTime and stuff like that. Talk to me about when I talked to Miles Kennedy recently about the upcoming Slash record and they recorded that album live in the studio together. And Miles and I went into a long conversation about um, the blessings of something like Pro Tools versus being able to make things too perfect and polish and strip the attitude out of rock and roll. When you're recording a song with Panic Boom and you're not in the room together and you're doing it all digitally, how do you avoid that? A uh, good question. And uh, uh, there's a few things that you miss when you're not in a studio together. Okay. And that is the energy of one another. Because if you're in a studio with four guys, five guys that you love dearly and you're telling stories and you're having a good time, that reflects on your playing, right? Yeah. Anything reflects on your playing. Um, how we got around that stuff is simple. One, Everybody in our band and Miles can attest to that, too, is that we recorded stuff on two inch tape our whole life. OK, that's how we recorded that. There was no alternative. Right. It was like you were good or you would you were crap. And if you were crap, they found someone good to play your parts or do whatever. So you knew going in that it was like you had to master your profession. So two inch tape has always been my friend. I love two inch tape. In fact, the last Skid Row record I did, which was in 03, we did it at Johnny Bon Jovi's house and he had a two inch machine. So I got to play, I got to record. Now with that said, because we have that, we deserve Pro Tools now because we can play. And because we can play, we don't need Pro Tools for what people need it for today, right. which is to and correct everything. And yeah. Right. We don't need that. What we needed was the digital end of it so we can pass our tracks around, you know, easily. And that's what we did. So we didn't quantize anything. There's no quantizing. It's the minute that you, you know, look, with Pro Tools, it's simple. You play a drum track and I played everything live. So you play a drum track, you could snap it onto the grid. When you snap it onto the grid and it's perfect and quantized, well, you just, you might as well program a drum machine. You know, there's no reason to do that. And we have gone through, and you know this, uh, with your knowledge of being a, a DJ, that the music that came out probably in the last 10 years, most of it is garbage because it's programmed. There's no heart in it anymore. There's some really great bands. I'm not talking, but producers got lazy. Producers weren't letting drummers play and there's no heart in this crap anymore. And nobody wants to hear that. You know, I want to hear a drummer screw up, you know, and when I say screw up, when you're a professional and you screw up, you're talking about a, 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 a stick that'll click or something. I'm not it's talking a about wavy imperfection. Yeah. You're human. Okay. It doesn't, and, and music to me, and it's my opinion, but I think the last few years has just been missing human and heart, no heart. So when we did this stuff, um, it was a simple process. Uh, like if the guitar player had an idea, he would send it to me. I did all the arrangement of songs. That, that was like kind of my forte because I, you know, played drums. So I, I found the click. I found the the tempos. I play it to a click track live. I I bounce my drums, send it to Chris. Chris would play bass on it. 
uh, and they're playing to me. So, and my, my stuff wasn't, I didn't want it perfect. I, I, my career, I've always played one beat behind the click because that's how I played. It's like, um, it's like bottom was a click bottom track was, for anybody that doesn't know, by the way, because yeah. I don't want to lose a, a non-musician yeah. listening to this. So it's the a beats it's a, per minute. Right. So once you get the beat, the BPM on it, like, let's say it's 120. I set my click track to 121 because I know I, I just need that hair. And if you ever listen to Bottoms Phil's, not that he played a click track, but I love the lazy, you know, like you the, almost the think human. he's not going to make it. And then right at yeah. the end, he's yeah. he's on time. And you're like, it's, yeah, How I call it I call it a, a pair of Nikes in a dryer. But as long as you end up on one, you're good, right. you know. And um, and Chris and I have been playing together for 30 years. The rhythm section, the the rhythm section is your main deal. If you don't lock in, you, you it doesn't even matter if you're in a studio or so that was always covered. The guitar that just floats around. You know, the guitar always floated to me like you have the guitar has the leeway. It has the sounds, you know, it's tight, but it floats. Um, and the singer can yeah. go anywhere he wants. He can go anywhere he wants, you know, as long. And we did a lot of we do harmonies through Panic Boom. It's all par- harmonizing and stuff like that. Not on Revolution so much, but on the other songs. So it was a pretty easy deal to get it sounding like we were live together because we played together. You know, well, Chris and I played together for 30 years. Anybody that's ever been in a studio with a grease pencil and a razor blade is allowed to cut corners now because same thing with with radio, too. Yeah. If you if you've had a razor blade in your hand, the digital stuff. Yeah. You know what a copy and paste was back then? (laughs) It was it was the quarter inch machine, a razor blade tape and then the grease pencil. Right. And then flying it to the board, re-recording it and then dropping it in. It's incredible. Those guys were magicians back then. And, and now it's a copy and paste, which is just it's almost like it hurts me every time I do it. But but it's necessary. Look, technology. I love technology. Um, I don't like when technology builds somebody and makes them sound good. That sucks. I like when technology is put in the hands of good players and then they create something even more spectacular. And Chris McLernan is producing and mixing all our music. I shoot the videos, I direct them and I edit them. So that's what our, our knowledge has given our band, which is two things, as you know, that back in the old days, $200,000 budgets for videos, 300 grand for a record. Um, we launched revolution, our song for $17. It's on every streaming platform, it, it is, you know, and of course, we're not going to get paid from streaming, but we have a band camp. And I'll tell you one thing about our fans and fans in general, right, music fans. And as I include myself in a music fan, especially music rock fans, fans, they will pay for it. And uh, we put up on our band camp, we put a dollar to buy it. And maybe a couple of people just bought it for a dollar, but everybody else was 10 bucks, five bucks, seven dollars, whatever you want, whatever you feel you you want to pay for it. So the first time, uh, the first sale we had, the first dollar that was bought uh, when, it, when it came out, I took a screenshot of it. We have a band thread. I put it on the band thread and I said, is this the coolest thing you've ever seen? Because it meant more to me than anything I've ever done in my career, because it was something we did. It was an idea and it came out and, and a fan loved it and bought it and no middlemen. It's like, yeah. You know, Bandcamp takes their 10% or whatever and, and PayPal. So we, it was the greatest splitting of 75 cents I ever <laughs> did in my life. 
and still more money than I made from Atlantic. So right <laughs> off the bat, we were good. I have a theory yeah. about musicians that like musicians always want to be actors and actors want to be musicians and, yeah. and athletes want to be musicians and actors. And it's kind of this thing that flows into each other. And you're a perfect example because you've had a pretty successful acting career as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, wouldn't say successful, but I, I had fun. Well, I'm I mean, trying that's to give all... you a compliment, Phil. Come on. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I, 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 um, I did a lot of things in my life because I wanted to, not because I wanted to be successful at it, and I've proved that. Thank you. No, but um, <laughs> who, who doesn't want to try to act? You know, who doesn't want to try to do stand up? So many people are so scared of everything. You know, my mother, God rest her soul, she, she was scared of flying. I'm not getting on the plane. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm like, why? You know, I go, look, it's an easy thing. You get on the plane, you get there, you don't. You're not going to feel it either way. Who gives a crap, right? But I, I'm not afraid of anything. So when I, um, when I left the music business in, in, in 05 uh, to go to rehab, because I was just out of control and I wanted to live. That was, <laughs> that was one of my things on the bucket list, living. Um, I decided to do some cool stuff and I, and I did stand up, stand up comedy. I did uh, acting and I got on, I was fortunate enough that I got on a couple of shows like uh Californication. And uh, I did some movies, some independent movies. I did uh, TV shows like, you know, ghost stories. And I was on rehab with Dr. Drew. I mean, I just did stuff, you know, like I'm not embarrassed about it. It was kind of like, I find those shows and stuff. If you can get on something and you can pay it forward and you can give somebody some information that maybe will help them or steer them in the right direction. Why not? But um, yeah, it was fun. Californication is one of those things. I, I was just going to, I just got a residual check. I wish I had a handy. I would post it up on on this right now, but it's like, I think it's like 61 cents or something, but it's, uh, it was fun. You know, I did a scene with Dave Duchovny. His brother was directing, uh, you know, the one funny thing though, that was that I, I read for hungover rock star. I was like, oh, this is going to be a stretch for me. <laughs> and um, I get in there and I'm, I'm doing the scene. And uh, so they're blocking the shot. Right. And I had a stand in. So which was hilarious because I have I had two lines, whatever it was. So but I was in a, in a bed with five women, half naked women laying on me for the shot. Right. So we did the first shot. And he's like, oh, let me block the next next angle. And he goes, all right, Phil. Um, We'll, we'll call you when we're ready. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and I don't they need to for this. They, yeah, they started cracking up. I'm like, you actually think for one second, I'm getting up out of a bed with five half naked women. You're crazy. And they just were like, they, there's, you know, it, it just was one of those things. I'm like, you wanted the rock star when well, now you got them, you know? And it was, it was, a, it was a pleasure doing that stuff. It was fun. You talk about and mentioned your <laughs> documentary. You are the, as far as I know, you are the first person I've had on the show that has gone to sex rehab, that's yeah. been in Playgirl, uh-huh. that's been on Oprah, yes, and has your own line of sex toys. Correct. That's impressive considering the amount of interviews I've done in my life. I don't <laughs> think anyone else has those credentials that they can put on yeah. a resume. That's like the hat trick plus one, I think. Seriously. That one. Um, yeah. And that, again, goes to, I always wanted to do Playgirl. I don't know why. Peter Steele did it. it. I just thought, why not? My publicist, Barbara, Papa George, who I love dearly, and has been there, God, 15 years. She's awesome. Long. I know. She uh, she has seen and, and dealt with me. 
far too much. But um, yeah, we when I did the rehab show, it obviously sex rehab, the first thing that everybody wants to do is, you know, like as far as work wise, uh, let's get the guy from sex rehab naked in a magazine. Um and I was like, yeah, why not? I'll swing some salami. I don't care. You know, who gives a crap? It, it's like, I, I, for one, I am not embarrassed by nudity like the United States is. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Europe. We did two records in Sweden where people are naked and no one gives a shit. You know, like it's yep. not about, you know, raping people. It's like we're naked. Well, why is this pornography? You know, and I go to nudist resorts all the time. I love uh, I call myself a nudist. I think it's wonderful. So if I can if you want to put my my ugly ass on a fucking on a uh of 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 a playgirl sure i'll take it but i did i remember seeing peter Steele, um and his telephone pole on uh in uh in playgirl and i must have had two coffins for him because i i tell you i mean he was a big guy so we know that sometimes people aren't proportionate and sometimes they are god has his favorites yeah Yeah, they could not close the lid of the coffin on that thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, and I, I say that with much respect. I love Peter. But um, I was the first rock star centerfold, though, just so we get that straight, because those guys Steele were didn't not get rock- the centerfold. No, he was a feature. Oh. And Brett Michaels was a centerfold, but he was dressed. Right. And, and so and Brad Pitt, but he wasn't a centerfold. So. I was the first rock star centerfold and the, it was a, it was a holiday issue, December, Mr. December. You can address me. Oh, sorry. Yes. Okay. Mr. December. And, and uh, the, my, I came up with the tag, which was the hocking, the stockings aren't the only thing hung. So, right. Cause if you're going to go cheesy, you got to go go full blast. Yeah. Smoked Gouda. Go there. Now, and Barbara was there the whole time because we're shooting this in New York and it was some of the funniest like she was shooting like B-roll stuff. And I, I it's so funny because it, it was a blast. I was in New York for two days. We, you know, the, the, the photographer was a rock photographer. Um, Todd Concord was his name. Amazing photographer. And here he's shooting this naked dude. But we had this one one moment I'll tell you about it was really, really funny. We were shooting in this tiki bar in, in New York and uh, the bartender came in to open the, the club for us uh, during the day. And she was unaware of the shoot. Okay. So, so I'm in the back getting ready for this. You know, I, uh, um, they had a, they had a, a photo booth back there. So we like doing photo. I was doing photo booth shots. They're setting up the shot in the front of the bar where the bar is tendering. And, uh, I come walking out naked with, uh, with Chuck's on and a raging heart on. Right. And I don't see her. So, uh, Todd goes, uh, yeah, just sit over here on top of this. They had uh, like booths, you know, he's like, just sit on top of the booth. So I, I get up on top of the booth, you know, and I'm, I'm, I still haven't seen her. And I'm like getting ready to go. And I'm like, you know, full mask, got to put a flag on this thing. And I look up and there she is. And she's just like, you know, and I go, hi, how you doing? She's like, what? I'm the? Mr. I go, December. <laughs> yeah, I go, I go, um, can we just call this our first date? And then she started cracking up because she was shocked, you know, by this whole thing. And um, it was a blast. And I would always we had this really great assistant, one of his assistants. And and he was gay. He was a gay man. And it was so fun. And I would always look at him and go, how's it look? And he's like, ready. 
and that's where I got to him. Then that's good advice. I'm in. Right. And that's how we did it. So yeah, it was a blast. And then, then the sex toy line just came off of that, you know, and it was, it was, and I did a celebrity sex tape because everybody was doing it. Kim Kardashian had just done it. Tommy and Pam. Um, my original one was going to be with uh, one of the girls from Jersey Shore because you know the whole thing is is crap. You know it's all right. set up. There's no, there's no the maid stole it. So it was a very funny conversation. I'm on the phone with um, it was her name was Angelina Angelina yep. I think she was in the first season. Yeah. And um, uh, so we have our agents. We're you know we're like okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go to Florida for a weekend. I'm going to shoot everything. Um, you know, we, we have all this sex, we go crazy on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. I go, then I'm, I'm going to release it. You sue me for releasing it. I give me the whole plan. It was out of control. And then like, we, we all agree, you know, vivid is like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then a couple of days later, she bailed from it. She didn't want to do it after all. So, uh, so I ended up doing a groupies one, but, but again, it was just like, it's, it's such smoke and mirrors, that whole thing. And, uh, and then the sex toy line. You know, like it was all linked together because it was all in one lump. Um, and I just want to let everybody know that the the I had my penis molded, not mold in a sense of that'll kill you, but actually a mold. No, of it's it. a process uh, that it you want yeah. it to be authentic. I have a lot of military friends yeah. that did the take home mold so that yeah. they could make a toy for their wives before they deployed. So their wife right. would have them at home think, with them. I think it's called clone a willy, that stuff. Yes, Isn't exactly. That, that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one was made, I did, I went to doc Johnson and they do all the, the, uh, all anything they do, female, male, they do everybody's right. And the guy doing it is hilarious. And what they do be? is, I, I mean, what a sense of, you gotta have a sense right. of humor. Uh, cause there's a very awkward three minutes waiting for that stuff to set. Okay. That that's, that's basically, I was going to ask you about yeah. that and I was hoping you'd get to it before I did. Yeah. Well, they use a dent, the dental, um, paste, right. Yep. And it doesn't like, and he, he put it, put some on my leg. It doesn't pull hair out. It's very interesting. It, it dries on like it drew, it dried on my leg, but you could see every hair, the indentations of it, but it never pulls anything out. It's really, really wild but it takes three minutes. Right. So here, and I have the whole thing on tape. I should release this thing. Cause it's really funny. There's nothing sexual about it at all. It's so damn funny. If you want to see the process. Oh, I do. And, yeah. And he's mixing, he's mixing this bucket of stuff and it's like, you know, he's in there and then you take a tube that looks like a, um, like the, the front of a recorder, you know, the recorders when you're in school, like the mouth, it looks like that. And he fills it. He goes, you're ready. I'm like, yeah. And I go running over there with, you know, like, and it's just, I mean, the whole thing is hilarious. Now the girl from, from Cal exotic, my friend, she's filming the whole thing. And again, it's like, it's just everybody involved. It's so funny, the setting. Right. And it's cause there's nothing sexual. It's just pure comedy. <laughs> So I go and I stick my my thing in this tube and he's dumping this dental stuff in there, like just dumping it in there and pushing it down and all this other stuff. And that stuff is so cold. It was like so the idea is um, to get it while it's wicked hard and then it hardens around it. So right. you get the diameter because it's going down. It's like going, jumping in a, a, an ice water, oh. you know. It was like that. And this stuff is like, so he puts it all in and then he's done. And now he's standing next to me, holding it up on his side. So I go, um, I go, uh, so uh, you, you come here often? 
And we just start laughing because he's like right there. Oh, right. And I'm just like, do, 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 do. And he starts Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. So funny. Do you know I was Mr. December? What's that? Do you know I was Mr. December? (laughs) (laughs) He was telling me all these crazy stories about women that came in. Like they, uh, he goes, yeah, you know, this woman came in and it, it was a porn star, but she was on a period. And I said, oh, so did you make a candle? Was it her shoot about a, about a candle? I mean, you know, you, you, they're putting silicon on, uh, you know, um, and we just were doing bits like that. So, but let me just say this. Um, it's one thing to get turned down by a woman as a man, but when your penis gets discontinued, let me oh. tell you something. You don't come back from that. No, that's tough, man. I I'm thought sorry. I had a handsome penis, but apparently the, the masses did not. Well, now your penis is a collectible. <laughs> Yeah, except it looks like it's been in a fire. But that's another story. <laughs> I spoke to some uh, some some dermatologists, and you know they have a penis uh, rejuvenation yeah, thing. They have rejuvenation yeah. for vaginas too. Yeah, um, but because I want a gentleman's penis, I want to I want to I want a pink, excited, new penis again. Because mine has just seen it. You know, it, it's mad at me. It could be mad at you from overuse, sh- Phil. Because, you know, you, you put it in weird places and it, it didn't like that. So, yeah, no, it, it is definitely I look like it's been through. A, it's definitely a fire victim, but it, but it's, it's getting better. I tell know, guys that it, all the time. I'm like, that's supposed to be your most prized possession. And yet you choose to put it in places it. that, you know, are very dangerous, very dangerous, very dark, very sharp, sometimes smelling white. Yeah, smelling good. <laughs> bad. Um yeah, I th- I'm going to go for the penis rejuvenation. I think I'm going to go for that. I got to find someone to do it, though. That's the most embarrassing thing. I mean, how do you do this? And it's going to be a laser peel. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. If so it I hurts to get a tattoo month. taken off, I can only imagine what it's going to do to your penis. Oof. Yeah, because they're going to take a couple of layers off. Yeah. But I want I just want to I want one of those those nice new ones. It looks like it has the uh, the still has the, the you know, the price tag on it. It's never, <laughs> One of those Never teenage ones that hasn't been yeah. abused yet. Yeah, it just hasn't been it hasn't been molested or weird and, and beat up and you know pulled on, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. So that, that's on the bucket list. Every time I have a musician on the show, I always ask this question because the answers, there's no wrong answer and they're always interesting. As a songwriter yourself, yeah. Can you give me an example or two of songwriting that you think is perfect? A song you yes. covet and wish you wrote from any artist of any genre of any era, but yes. break it down from a songwriter's perspective and tell me why you think it's a good example of songwriting. And they come up let's, all the time. Go ahead. Let's start here. Let's yeah. start here. Let it be is my all time. I, I, I would turn the cameras because on my wall, I have let it be lyrics. I have um, the, the documentary, oh. um, the, the, now, now I went into the documentary because like everybody told me it was amazing. And I got I got scared because there's some things you just shouldn't see. Yeah. In my opinion. Right. Like it's like you don't want to see the pilots when you get on a plane. You know, you don't want like it's just it, it's just it's, it's known. It's, you get it's there. the Wizard of Oz. Like it's perfect right. with the with the with the, the curtain curtains closed. Drawn. Right. Yeah. You cannot. You can, I don't want the curtain open. Now, I did not know that this was the session for Let It Be, the record, which is my all-time favorite Beatles record. So I'm watching this thing with no preconceived anything. I just wanted to watch it. I told everybody, I was like, don't tell. I just want, let me, because the Beatles, oh, that's how much they mean to me. They're my favorite band too. Right. I'm right there with you. Okay. So I start watching this thing and I go, wait a minute. 
what are they writing here? They start writing songs. I just thought it was going to be a rehearsal for a TV show. I didn't know they were writing Let It Be. And, and I, 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 I stopped it. And I, I was like, I got to regroup here. Hold on a second. Because right now I'm getting the ultimate, what I've dreamt about for years was to be a fly on the wall to watch the Beatles write a song. Okay. Like, cause they're not human to me. You know, like that's, and I watched this wonderful uh, documentary that I highly recommend called Under the Volcano, which is uh, a story. It's the documentary of Sir George Martin's studio, um, the air studio in the Caribbean. Uh, and, and that studio produced. <laughs> Rick I Nielsen mean, was on the show from Cheap Trick and told me what it was like to work with oh, him. And I was just like, right. oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that, that's like my that's a head explosion. Right. Of beyond. So I'm watching this thing. And then. There was a, so they're writing songs and I'm like, holy crap, they're just writing songs because the first part of it is not really, you don't know it's let it be right until, until Paul starts tickling the ivory and let it be comes out. And I just start weeping. I I go, wait too. a minute. I'm like, wait a minute here. He's writing, let it be right now. And John Lennon is, they're all goofing around, but there was a split second where they, they perked up because they know what a good song is. Right. And I, I, I stopped it so many times because I couldn't take it. It There were points where I looked at it and it was like, I thought it was like a deep fake because you've seen, or at least we thought we had seen everything that the Beatles had ever done. Every photo, every video. And then all of a sudden there's these hours of unseen video. And I kept looking at it like, this is real. Yeah. I didn't believe it was real either. Like you said, I thought it was, I thought it was fake. I, 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 because we shouldn't have seen this. Yeah. This is not, this is, this is, these are gods to me. I, I shouldn't have seen this, but I'm so happy I did. And it's been but locked I, somewhere for 50 years. And and as an editor, right? The minute that's like, I, I'm on, I'm texting with my editor friend and I'm like, did you see the colorization? Did you see the color correction? Have you seen the edits of this thing? They created at a film that there's, and, and if you know anything about film editing and stuff, there's a point where, film is so long gone and you have to bring the colors back in. And when you bring the colors back in, things suffer. Like you'll see really pink lips or you'll see pink things around eyes. That is like film that is shot. And they brought it back to this beautiful, you know, like I was, I was amazed, but the, um, what I took from it the most was the absolute love of four guys in a band. And those guys loved each other to no end. There was, there was a love between McCartney and John Lennon and, and Ringo was clearly, you know what, you know, what really got me when they called him Richie. Yeah. I, I, I just like, you know, and, and John would be like, Hey, Richie, don't. And I'm just like, Holy crap. You call him Richie. Like it's, it, it, and, and Chris McLernan and, and the guys in my band, but Chris, Chris McLernan is probably my best friend in the world. And that's how I love him. You know, like you, you just, you don't have and to get bands, along. It's it's a brother thing. No. Bands have that and don't have that. Because with that love comes respect. You have to respect each other. And what I loved most about that was the love and respect. Because, you know, when Ringo was working out a song and George just came over and started playing with him and doing the chords. And then one of my favorite moments uh, outside of all that was when George Martin comes in. Sir George comes in and goes, as a producer, you're not ready. And I was like, oh. They just told the Beatles they're not ready. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you know. And he's so, the only one that could do that. 
the only one. Yeah. And and I thought that that was probably the greatest piece of cinema I've ever seen in my life. So back to your question, Let It Be has always been the most perfect song ever. Like there's nothing. And not to mention because it reminds me of my mother. My mother passed in 98. It was like her song. You know, like it was one of those songs. My mom so gave me lot. the gift of loving music. Yeah. And it was through the Beatles. And so I totally yeah. understand that 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 is music is that way. It's it's that yeah. amazing gift that we get that goes right to our memories of the people we love for sure. Yeah, I just and I and I felt so sad um, for losing John Lennon so soon oh. because I didn't even understand how funny he was and how, how how wonderful he was. I like Yoko because of this. I just kept going. Does she have to knit right there? Why is she, she sitting there knitting? Cause, could she just go over there and knit? Does she need to be in that it, circle and knit? Right? Is it wasn't that weird? Because it even was when weird. Linda when Linda Eastman walked in, she was still across the room, which I still believe that her and Ringo had something cooking. Interesting. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, when she walked into the room, Ringo lit up and so did she. Yeah. And they, I know there's something about it, and they could be swingers. Who knows? I mean, I'm a swinger, so well, maybe back they then, did. yeah. Did. But I um and there was a couple of there was a couple of things that 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 got me. One is they scared Peter Sellers away, which was the greatest thing I've oh. ever seen. Because Peter Sellers walked in and was like, "Oh, I gotta go now." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like, That's Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers. Yeah. I'm like he's the Pink Panther. Yeah. What the hell's going on here? He's Clouseau for God's sake. Um, but um, also too when when um when George left uh because of you know whatever was going down for that time and um. Paul came in and they were talking about like, because he didn't know if John was going to show up and he was clearly visibly upset. And they were talking about how the only thing that got, you know, because John was so in love with Yoko that they didn't have time to write like they used to. And he missed them. Yeah. And I just thought that was sad and, 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 and sweet at the same time. But, uh, boy, that was a documentary, man. Oh. I, I, and after I seeing so the Rick Rubin one, yeah. Where he sat down with McCartney. I haven't seen that one yet. That's the next one. Okay, so you yeah. got to watch it because there's one there's one part of it, and I, I don't want to give it away too much because I want you to see it, but McCartney broke down how his upbringing and Lennon's upbringing leaks into their songwriting and how the difference weaves together to create the Beatles. Yes, of and, course. And since I saw that, it changed the way I listened to the music. And then when I saw the documentary that you're talking about, all I could think about was maybe she's sitting there knitting because John needs her to be sitting yes. there knitting. Oh, he does. And then does. I was like, do I got to give Yoko a break? Because John wants her there. And so I had to. I gave Yoko a break on that. Yeah. And and the reason why too, is that just what you said, I haven't seen that part that you were talking about, Yeah. but there's, but there is the tell was um, John Lennon said, if it's Yoko or the Beatles, I'm picking Yoko yeah. and Yoko, those two, he, she was his muse. Right. Period. She, he wanted her there yeah. period. He wanted her that close. He, so this whole Yoko thing is really funny. Now, Chris McLernan, uh, in our band, he said that uh, he went out. He was in New York, where they, where John had passed away, and um, in front of the gates. And all of a sudden, there's some commotion, and here comes Yoko, and she's in a wheelchair. She's being pushed by um, 
was a rapper was with her. I forgot who it was, uh, a hip hop artist and security, right? The gates open and Chris is just standing there. And Yoko, they wheel her by and Yoko looks up at him and goes, hi, how are you doing? She's the one that said hello. And he was just like, I'm, I'm really great, Yoko Ono. Like, you know, like what? Yeah, like, like she's somebody you have to refer to by two names because you wouldn't you dare to. just say Yoko. God for that is yeah. that's that is just disrespectful. I know. And um, and I said, yeah, well, you know, I mean, she's just a Beatle as much as anything else. She has more controversy. And the Beatles broke up far before Yoko had anything to do with it. They made Anyways. all that music before they turned 32, which just blew right. my mind that it was These just their kids. They're kids. Kids. Like I, I'm like, and you know what I loved about this so much was the um the the way they dressed going into the studio. Yeah. Ringo Ringo was always cool, man. Like they all were cool. And when what I started doing, which I loved, was everybody that was in those, like um their their tour manager that wrote all the words down for them. Yeah. Uh all those guys. I started Googling them going, oh, what if they're alive? And he has he's passed long past. Can you imagine if you could um, say, like, that's my grandfather right there? Right. Well, you, somebody can. Right. Because these guys. But mostly I went I looked up the cop. The cop is there. He's alive. The one that came up there, that one that had the red cheeks and he was trying to. And they were so polite, you know, but it was like I, and I'm thinking in my brain, I'm like, when this guy went onto the roof to try to shut the Beatles down, did he understand the magnitude of what was about no. to happen? To no. Him? Like, did he understand that he just shut? Let it be down. <laughs> you know, like like. Are you insane? You know, and know. It, 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 and and I loved the 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 interviews on the street, like older gentlemen and stuff. Are like, oh, the Beatles, oh, I love them. I, they, you know, they. And then there's other people like, it's noise. Yeah, I'm like, it's the Beatles. I know. Could you shut up for two seconds? My God, man, it's uh, it was great. I, I just I can't say enough. But it was one of those. It is. It touched me, and it and it took me a long time to watch it. It's over yeah. like a week. Because emotionally, I was drained. I'm going through it for the second time now because I know I missed so much of it because I was in I such awe the first time. Yeah, between crying and yelling and you know applauding, I missed most of it too. It was crazy, you know. I feel so bad for people that listen to my show all the time because it's like they must think that I pay you guys to talk about the Beatles because everybody knows what a fan I am, <laughs> and then they just always keep coming up, and I don't understand how people cannot be fans of the Beatles. Right. But people that hate the Beatles must just hate my show at this point because they always well, come I, up. I, people that hate the Beatles are terrible people. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I mean, how can you hate the Beatles? I don't know. But I That's guess like people hating do. Henry Fonda or something. That's weird. <laughs> how can you hate that? That's like hating uh, sitting on a cloud, you know, eating like a, a pastrami sandwich, you know, with no care in the world. How can you hate the Beatles? Those are awful, awful people. <laughs> Um, yeah. How do you, you really feel, that, Phil or Mr. December? Mr. December. Thank you very much. Uh, you can, uh, you can, uh, get, um, the, the Rolling Stones Beatles argument all the time. Yeah. It's like, how about you can't like them both? Yeah. You can I like mean, them both. And there's I'm also a, the Beatles crazy... Elvis thing too, where it's like, you got to pick yeah. both of those arguments. I pick the Beatles, but obviously Respect for Elvis, love the Stones. Yeah, but, but the Beatles took Elvis off the top. Yeah. And the Beatles, Elvis respected the Beatles and he phoned them and gave them, you know, welcome. You know, that's cool. That's 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 what you should do. The passing of the torch. Right. 
But the Rolling Stones are an incredible band. I wasn't a Rolling Stones mass, you know, like crazy fan, but I love their music. I respect Chuck Watts. Charlie Watts, by far, the coolest drummer. Like, you know, just a cool. So it's like these people get crazy. You know, it's like. I got, do you believe, I told, I told this story before because it's so ridiculous that I have to just, it's funny because it just happened recently. So I'm on Facebook and my Facebook page is about being positive. Okay. I like to have a good time. You've been through a myself. lot. Just yeah. focus on the good. Right. Uh, Facebook is a cesspool. Okay. And I don't want that near me. Right. So I have fun. I have fun with this. So there happened to be one of those memes running around that said, pick. There's four things on there. One has to go. It was Amazon, Starbucks, Tar- Target, and uh, Chick-fil-A. One of those has to go. All right. And so I put Chick-fil-A. Right? I'm not a Chick-fil-A fan, but also the owners of them are bigots and they're hypocrites because they, you know, they're they're upbringing. So I hate that. I hate people like that. But in a, I so I say, um, well, the owners are hypocrites and their uh, their chicken is like low grade dog food that I wouldn't uh, feed to a dog. Being funny because low grade dog food is from Caddyshack. So uh, apparently they don't get it. So there's 700 responses to this thing, right? And I'm not on Facebook where I live for that Facebook. I just go on there. I say hi to my fans, whatever. And um, and I start reading them. I'm like, these people are brutal. Like oh, they're yeah. just they're going crazy. You're wrong. How do you know I'm wrong? Like, do you do you work there? Do you do own you ever- it? You're yeah. defending even, it to the even end. Even the owner. Right. Even the owner would probably say, hey, Phil, why don't you try it again at least? And I say, no, you're a bigot and a hypocrite and you can F yourself. But anyways, um, so down the line. And then the funniest comment was, um, oh, yeah, I see. It's been two hours since he's been on here. So, you know, he knows he's wrong. He doesn't want to comment. I was like, no, because I have a life. Yeah. That's why I was actually, you know, I don't know, releasing music and walking you know, enjoying my dog. Life. Yeah. And not uh, not being angry over bad chicken. So <laughs> I, I finally uh, I put a I put a message on there because I, I had to because there was a, uh, on the defense of many people. They were like, dude, that chicken sucks. Anyways, they knew. And people that did any research knew that they were bigots. And, you know, and I said, well, I go, listen, I go, number one, do you understand that you're fighting over chicken? Let's just start there. I go, do you own the company? It's like you have stake in it. I said, but do something you've never done in your life. Do some research, okay? And you will find that the owner is a bigot and hypocrite, okay? And if you are okay with that, then you are one too. So enjoy your shitty chicken and have a wonderful day. (laughs) And I just, because it was like, are you insane? You're fighting over, there are homeless people. There are children dying. There are people getting shot and you're screaming over bad chicken. There's a pandemic. Like, hello. And let me tell you something. Their chicken sucks. I don't care. And then you read this thing about Popeye's where people are in line and they they're trying to get this chicken sandwich and they shoot. They're shooting people for the chicken sandwich. And I had this chicken sandwich and I would shoot somebody, too, because it's delicious. But I hate Chick-fil-A. That's all I'm trying to say. Thank you. So. You brought up you brought up Charlie Watts, and as yeah. a drummer in the last couple of years, we've lost players like Charlie Ugh. Watts. We've lost Neil Peart. Like, Ugh. I mean, these are as a guitar player looking at the loss of Eddie Van Halen. These guys Ugh. are just irreplaceable, and it's impossible yeah. to measure the influence. 
Um, Eddie Van Halen, and I hate guitar players. And Eddie Van Halen, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Eddie Van Halen was single-handedly probably one of the most influential guitar players for rock and roll. I mean, it was Ingve back then, obviously, but before him, Jimi Hendrix. And he was, he's in a small category, oh, yeah. you know, of incredibly um, talent and, 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 and people that changed the instrument. You know, you got to think of it. Neil Peart was one of those who changed the instrument. Um, my, my very close friend, Vinnie Paul, we lost, um, you Love know, him. and, and I was telling a story to my friend and, and funny, cause I just got a text from Barbara, um, uh, Papa George, she, and Blabbermouth picked up what I was talking about. Cause Vinnie Paul, I had a failed Aussie audition and cause Vinnie Paul set it up for me, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was crazy. Like to lose all these people and these innovators of music and, uh, and such talent and uh and it's going to be uh, a really rough next like five years because yeah. all of these musicians that changed everything they can't yeah. live forever i mean you talk no. about ringo and paul mccartney yeah i like, mean I, I i i want to meet ringo if, if i met paul mccartney I don't know if I can handle it. No. But it's a weird thing because I always thought like as a musician, you know, we have fans that come up to you and they're like, oh, you know, you're my favorite drummer. And which is, I'm so damn grateful for that because I'm just a dude that plays drums. But I know how that, how we influence people as Tommy Lee influenced me. And all when I met Tommy for the first time, I, my head almost exploded. Right. And it was a wonderful meeting, you know, like it was just great. Um, it, it it's the sad case is is that like like now i'm 54 and those guys i, I forget that they're 70s we you just know i mean ted, ted nugent ted meatloaf and then and bob saget uh, like so young Dusty and, and Hill. louis anderson louis anderson like you know like all these people that we love um uh you know david bowie Oh. Uh, I mean, you name it, it goes down the line. And and uh, Keith Richards is still standing. I know. So I don't know how. J.J. French, <laughs> J.J. French on the show told me this amazing story where he got introduced to uh, Keith Richards' gastroenterologist at a party. I know, the most random sentence that's ever been said on the show ever. Yeah, said only one person. Right. Yeah. And he went up and was talking to him and he said, so you're Keith Richards gastroenterologist. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, can I ask you something? And he was like, yeah, but I won't be able to answer it. And he said, I bet you'll be able to answer this because of HIPAA, obviously. Right. And he said, this is what JJ French from, from Twisted Sister said, are even you amazed? <laughs> and the doctor said, yes. It's one of the greatest stories ever. That is a great, yeah. great question. Yeah. What a wonderful question. Because it was worded perfectly. Yeah. Because it, yeah, that's just, you know, it, oh, my God, that's yeah, so funny. So funny. It'll be it'll be a sad day when when we lose many of our our idols. Yeah, uh, I just did a drum uh, expo with um, with Greg Bissonette, who plays with Ringo Starr. OK, and Greg is the sweetheart of sweethearts. I love him. And we did this wonderful thing for breast cancer. Um, uh, and um, it was all these great drummers. And and but but I was like, Greg, so. Ringo, come on. I because I did all I did I video one Can of my, you hook my company, a brother up. 
Yeah, my company did all the um, the promo for the we you know we donated our the promo. So I was doing all their all their packages, and I'm pulling up video of Greg Bissonette with Ringo, and all I see is a smile. I mean, how can you not? How can you not? Right. So I go, dude, what the like? Tell me, I want to like just give me something. And he goes, well, we're we're working on a master class right now for him, which just they did they just put the promos out. For yep. Him. So Greg was working on with Ringo and and showing him, you know, like the masterclass setup, you know, because Greg is an incredibly talented player, schooled. And he goes, he goes, I go, that must have been like, I would have to pinch myself. He goes, well, it gets better. I said, how? He goes, well, he FaceTimed Paul McCartney. And I was like, wait a minute. And he goes, hey, Paul, check out, you know, check out what Greg's showing me. I go, so you're on the phone, like you're with Ringo. Paul McCartney's on FaceTime. So you're you're you have the Beatles with you is what you're saying. Yeah. I was like, and I'm like, so when you woke up, did they have the smelling salt? He was like, he goes, it was really amazing. Like that was one of those things. Cause when you're with Ringo, I guess you would get kind of used to. Right. That he's a person not, and he's talking yeah. to you and it's fine. Yeah, and you're in a band but and then all his that. His friend stuff. Paul chimes in. And then you realize that it's the Beatles all of a sudden. Right. Because one guy is one thing. But then the Beatles chime in and you're like, everything that's ever happened to you in life is because this man, these two men, like, what are you kidding me musically? And and Ringo is one of the greatest, most underrated drummers of all time. So it's um, yeah. So I, I was just getting stories from him and I just hope I have something like that. When Paul McCartney dies, I will be in mourning. Yeah. For a very, 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 very long time. I tell people it, I was it, in the it, same room with Paul McCartney because I was at the Super Bowl in Jacksonville when he would play the halftime show. That's you're in his, the same room. I'll take it. <laughs> you're in it. You, you got closer than I did. I watched, so. the, I watched the Patriots win the Super Bowl and a Beatle during the halftime show. It was one of the greatest days of my life. I mean, for a Bostonian, that's right? got to be like a, a Beatles fan from Boston. You can't get any better unless... Friggin' Maki Mock came walking in and hung out with you in the suite, which I absolutely love. The Wahlberg, Wahlberg. I was, I was so sad to hear that Elma died. I know. Their mom. I know. My God, I loved her Talk so much. About she was a... like, she's like my mom. Yeah. She was like, and and not not my since losing my mom so long ago. I was like, she's my mom. Yeah. Like I every week I tuned in so I could see her. Yeah. You know, like and, and just live. I love them so much. Like yep. a. And I love that damn show with Paulie and stuff. I love those guys. I I would love and Mark is wonderful, but Paulie's a star. No, the like, family I get into, is, and, and yeah, what's well, funny is that they're like every family from like that neighborhood or whatever. Right, it's right. Like, that's it just how everybody like is. Yeah, yeah. Because I love with all the interviews, like those guys were like just terrorizing the neighborhood. You know, like everything you did as a kid, oh, yeah. you just went crazy. You know. And uh, I, I love that show. So, yeah, that's uh, Boston get, definitely uh, came up with some some good people out of, out of Boston. Yeah, we've but, had some uh, pretty good rock and roll come out of here, too. So now that now that the goat's gone, what are you doing over there? Do you follow Tampa? What do you do? Yeah, they're, they're what, the Patriot South. Yeah, basically, I was, when I when he woke the Gronk up, I love me some Gronk. Oh. And I'm like, how the hell is he playing this guy? I know they, they it's like it's He's like bionic. waking Joe. It's like waking Joe up and being like, Joe, you got to run for president. I'm like, I'm, in, I'm I'm napping. Leave me alone. Let me retire. You people get the that hell was, out of here. That was a rough day. Like the very early stage of the pandemic, they canceled the St. Patrick's Day parade in South Boston. And on the same day, um, Tom Brady announced he was leaving. And we were all just like, what do we uh, let me? What, I, I don't what, think what I've do we been. Do? 
when I heard Brady went to Tampa, okay, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Like People I really were did. talking thought, about the teams he would go to, and I was like, Tampa's a shithole. He'd never go there. Yeah, I thought it was a joke. Number one, I'm not I, – I think Tom Brady is – well, is the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. You can say what you want about There's the no debate. It's like people that hate the Beatles. No. You're just wrong. Yeah, you're just wrong. And and the only reason why I hated Tom Brady is because he wasn't playing for my New York football giants. Other than that, I love the guy. And, and you guys I got you, him. You guys got to him twice and good on you. Did. You broke our hearts twice. Yeah, but but for that, I have 40 years of heartbreak. Right, right. Um, but that goes the good and the bad. But I don't know if you saw this show. It's called The Shop and it's on HBO. Okay, and it's uh, LeBron James. Oh, I have seen it. Yeah. Okay, well, Tom Brady was on it. And if you want any respect, you want to, I saw Tom Brady on this show and I was like, I not only do I respect him as a athlete, because I never really understood. I didn't know him because he yeah. never talked. He was yeah, always, he everything was politically That's correct. the Patriots way that you don't. Right. Well, stay he out talked of on this damn show. Oh, yeah. He talked. And I was like, that guy is, he's. He is the GOAT. I loved everything about it because he wasn't this polished dude that had to give props after a gig. He was like, he talked. Yeah. And I was like, boom, there he is right there. And I liked what I saw. And I think most fans, most people, I I recommend if you don't like Tom Brady, outside of the fact that he's not on your team, because that's why we hate it. But I mean, in general, there isn't a football fan alive that will not say he's the greatest player of all time, period. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, Johnny, you, I watched Namath play, you know, I, I, and again, with Giants, Phil Sims, you talk about star, but you name, you go the, the football, you know, quarterbacks that, that are, he is the guy. There's no, I've never seen anything like it. He he's Ivan Drago <laughs> is what he is. That's what he's Drago. You must die. <laughs> you must. Die. And then find, you know, like, and when we beat him, and I say we like I was on the team. I but saw it's you like, on the field. It was impressive. Yeah. It was when Rocky gave him and it gave him a shot and let Drago bleed. He yeah. is a man. Yeah. He's a man. You know, we're like, yes. But yeah, that was uh that was something else. But boy, I, I just love watching him play. It's incredible. But yeah, I like the Gronk. I like all them guys, man. It's uh and and I think I, all I know is that I give total respect for Gronk's parents, his mom. His mom spit out two, the four giants, three giants. How many are there? There's monsters. Four, these guys, yeah, incredible. Yeah, Mother's right? Day, she better be getting diamonds and Rolls Royces. Oof, yeah. man, talk about you know that that is something else. That, but anyways, yeah. So, uh, well, I'm ending the show because I got a Giants fan to say nice things about Tom Brady. Hey, done. Maybe he'll maybe he'll go to the Giants. He did just have to pay him oh, two hundred million a don't. year. That's all. Don't. I can't. I can't <laughs> handle it. Listen to me. What's going to happen is, you know, because he'll win the Super Bowl again this year because oh, he has to. Yeah. He'll just because he, he's just going to drive to the knife deeper in our chest. What is he making now? Thirty something million a Who year. Knows? Giants got the cash. Let's get him over. <laughs> Let's he needs to end in the great state of New York no. with the Gronk. No. Let's put some true blue on. him. Oh, you're Come killing on. me. You're killing I me. Will, I will retire my Lawrence Taylor jersey <laughs> and put on a Tom Brady one if he comes uh, to the blue. That's all I'm saying. That's it. All right, so. Mr. December. Knock it off. <laughs> you need a magazine? I'll send you one. Yeah. <laughs> <All> <laughs> you, can, the, you can put it right behind you. You can find the links to uh, Panic Boom, all the websites, the socials, everything in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so nice to meet you. 
Oh, you as well. This is wonderful. I really, I really dug it. Hopefully we can come back again. Yeah, I would love, love it. To, love to, I would love absolutely love it. More. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. All right. We'll see you later. Enjoy the rest of your coffee. Thank you. You too. See ya. Bye. See, I told you this episode was fun. There he is, the one and only Phil Verone, my new coffee partner, Mr. December. And I'm still waiting for that autographed issue of Playgirl to arrive in the Mistress Carrie mailbox. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe and follow so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the Situation Report. The Sit Rep has all your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And don't forget to check out the show notes of this episode. You can check out the custom playlist that has all of the music that we talked about. You can also find Phil Verone online, get more information about his band Panic Boom, and the 30 Years a Drummer documentary, and you'll find all of my links as well. Thanks once again to our sponsor, Digital Federal Credit Union. Find them online at dcu.org. You can find me online at mistresscarry.com for my events calendar, my blog, the photo gallery, and the official online Mistress Carrie store. And you can find me every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern, live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Give your kitchen the upgrade it deserves with Clearview Cabinetry. Clearview Cabinetry starts as a kitchen built for now and grows with you as life changes. It's flexible by design with full access cabinet construction. So you can go from doors to drawers for storage that works when you need it. Get an appointment-free design consultation and explore all our cabinet options on display in our kitchen showroom. And save big money now at Menards. Save big money at Menards.